लिला गुरुदेव की जाए मन महाप्रभु की जाए श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाए श्री श्री नीताय चंदनंदन गौरहरि की जाए श्री राधा गोपाल गोविंद राम जी की जाए गौर भक्त वृंद की जाए मॉर्निंग टू ऑफ यू वेलकम एंड थैंक्स फॉर coming one more time and today we are continue with our series of questions and answers not not all of our meetings will be questions and answers but we have chosen to spend some time in that dynamic because of what we have explained yesterday what what it is what is being facilitated <laughs> when we open the the space for for any inquiries you may have and for any replies that may manifest so and not there are any questions today to begin with okay um, so i was wondering if you could speak a little on obviously this topic of um uh bhakti coming from bhakti has come up a lot and these things Well, I, I was wondering if you could speak a little from the perspective of in let's take other traditions for example so let's say you know you're quite fond of Thomas Merton for example mm. and, and saints like that in other traditions mm. um, how, how like, I guess the new nuance differences we might have in conception in terms of is, is that the Swarup Shakti just you know manifesting a different aspect in terms of increasing their devotion or say you know you have tribal people who worship the elements and I felt that some are just seeking their source and maybe it's not from an ingress of bhakti but they they're seeking more you know what is my source and they they're searching in that direction so there are kind of like many nuanced kind of ways that humans in different society um approach god or approach you know the absolute or the great Mm-hmm. And so what would our conception be in a differentiation between I guess where this rupa shakti is really had its ingress and maybe where it hasn't let's say and some mm. thoughts on that. Mm. Okay. So some days back uh Gorsundar Prabhu one of our good good brothers from Madhava he sent me he told me maraj i think you will like this quote <laughs> so he sent me one quote from thomas merton um acquired versus inherent so i will share that with you i have it here this is from his famous seven story mountain his autobiography so of course he was he won't be using the term sort of shakti <laughs> but but you will see that in one sense the principle is the same at least the concept of of descending grace and and certain elements that are not in us but can be in us if you will so he says it's this brief two paragraphs he says when a ray of light strikes a crystal it gives a new quality to the crystal and when god's infinitely disinterested love place upon a human soul the same kind of thing takes place and that is the life called sanctifying grace the soul of man left to its own natural level is a potentially lucid crystal 
left in darkness. It is perfect in its own nature, but it lacks something that it can only receive from outside and above itself. But when the light shines in it, it becomes in a manner transformed into light and seems to those to lose sorry, its nature in the splendor of a higher nature, the nature of the light that is in it. Thomas Merton Kijai. <laughs> so we were not organizing with Madame Mohan that he makes this question, and nor with Gorson that he sends me the quote. So all the things happen for some reason. No? I was going to ask the same question, but I didn't know how to okay. express. <laughs> we were not organized also with Govinda for him to say that now. So all those things further confirm that there is some right. other type of arrangement way above our control. <laughs> so. For me, that's pretty clear. I mean, with this, I'm not trying to start a campaign. Like, you see, not only myself, I'm saying this. <laughs> Even Thomas Merton thinks like that. But but we see that this is not just a, a, a conception that that belongs to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I mean, even some Gaudiya Vaishnavism won't accept that. <laughs> but also, we can explore other traditions. In, in, in one section of my forthcoming book, I'm also s s exploring... How in, in Western modern, not not only modern, but mostly modern philosophy, contemporary philosophy and psychology, there are many currents of thought that tend to 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 go to this idea of again not non-inherent or upshakti or something like this, but of this notion that the 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 human being or or, or the soul, however you may like to put it, in, in other species for sure as well. Uh, has some potential, and the potential is, uh, how to say, it's in connection to the environment, basically, to whatever environment one puts under its influence, that will, that will bring some result in particular. So, <clears throat> here, of course, Thomas Merton is speaking in terms of light, and that's the way, the, the main word he uses for what we may say, bhakti, or sort of shakti, but the principle is is basically the same. No, he's saying here that many interesting points. Of course, he gives the example of the crystal, which is an example used also in our traditions. Our Goswamis have quoted verses from the Shastra, which use this example of the crystal and the different lights coming to the crystal, and the crystal like kind of absorbing the color, if you will, and, and, and becoming something more, if you will, of what it is in itself. Hmm? So, and he says here some interesting thing also, that the soul is perfect in its own nature, which for me it's kind of the idea of the jiva is Satchitananda, so on its own can become Atmaram, which means self-satisfied, but that's not the end of the story for, for the jiva in terms of its potential. So jiva can become self-satisfied, atmaram, but for us in particular as bhaktas, atmaram is not the all in all. It, although it sounds, and it is really high, a high attainment, a global thing, I mean you are atmaram, means you derive ram or relishment or delight from your atma, from your own soul. You, you don't need to to run after things in this world and try just to fill yourself with external issues. And Sula Sukadev Goswami is 
the, the classical example of an Atmaram. And of course, the Bhagavatam uses this example for establishing the superior, superiority of Bhakti. In the famous verse, Atmaramas chamunayo nirgranta purukrame kurbanti haitukim bhakti gunohari. The famous Atmaram verse from the Bhagavatam that Mahaprabhu explained so many times to Sarvabhuma Bhattacharya and so many much more many times to Sarnatana Goswami then because it's such important verse which says Atmaramas chamunayo the Atmarams those who are free from all nirgranta from all world, worldly not in the words of Schopenhauer you will describe samsara as the word not no <laughs> so an atmaram is totally free from that is totally beyond the, the ordinary even prescriptions of shastra is free basically atmaram samuni nirgaranta piruk kurbanti haitukim bhaktim mitambutagunhari even those atmarams such personalities <coughs> which are not tied by anything in this world they feel themselves attracted to bhakti in other words, nothing attracts them in this world. Nothing moves them. They are totally beyond that. But Bhakti is attracted them. Bhakti is making them move again. And go out from their Samadhi to a higher Samadhi, basically. And the famous example again is Isukadev Goswami. As we know, he was, he was born at Maram, basically. <laughs> He said that he stayed 16 years in the womb of his mother. And don't ask me how that happened, but somehow it is say that. <laughs> and, and because he was not willing to, to relate with the world, he's basically totally satisfied in, his, in that situation. And whenever he went out of the womb, he just ran into the forest, not wanting to get connected with, with the gunas and just totally absorbed in transcendence and walking, going naked in the world. It was funny because... <laughs> Uh, Sukadev Goswami's nakedness of course speak of about it was not like a nudist or something but he was unaware that he was naked basically he was unaware of the bodily platform but he, and yesterday when I uploaded our lecture in YouTube my YouTube channel I generally put some how do you say this images to illustrate each talk the thumbnail thumbnail is mm -hmm. the name okay so I had one made for all every session of question and answer. I always put the same image, questions and answer. And the classical image there is Sukadev Goswami and Pariksit Maharaj. And YouTube like uh, banned that image because of, of nudity. <laughs> At least they didn't ban the whole lecture. The lecture is still there, but the th thumbnail is no longer there. It's just my face, unfortunately. Because, because in the image, Sukadev Goswami appears. Of course, he's always in the drawings or he's cross-legged and you don't see any intimate parts. But he's, you realize he's without... Okay, I appreciate you too. He wants to take care of his audience and followers. But it's, it's the, he's, nude, he's nude, he's naked, but the reason is... Admara. <laughs> I won't tell that to you too. It's enough. It's okay. No but that's a funny thing apart from that. <laughs> so, so it is said that when he went to the forest, as we know, Vyasadev just ran after him. You know, that's how the, that's how the Bhagavatam is, um, is, is, is offering pranam to, to Sukadev Goswami. What, what's the pranam mantra for Sukadev Goswami, the Bhagavatam? 
sorry. I have to so many verses. Jam prabhajanta mano petana peta krittam doi payano virahakatara ajuhava putritam mayatayotara bovinedus tan sarabhabutta hridayam munimanatashmi. So basically, in that moment, Srila <coughs> Sutta Goswami offers pranam to Sukadev, who is say that from, from the very birth he was born and he ran into the forest as his father started to, to call after him, son, son, putrit, putriti, and putriti yam tayatana He only heard back the reply from the trees, like, like implying Sukadev Goswami was somewhere else. <laughs> and as we know, eventually, Vyasadev sent a good cutter to the forest to to bring him back. But the point is, because some may have misunderstood, oh, Vyasadev was an agrihamedi. He was attached to his son and wanted his son back. But it's not that he wanted Sukadev back because I'm attached to my son, materially speaking. But, but he wanted his son back because he realized this Sukadev, this boy, is the perfect disciple, basically. I mean, this is the ideal person for me to pour on him the Bhagavat, the nectar of the Bhagavat. So, I mean, a guru is, as, as, as our Guru Maharaj will say, uh, sometimes some students are looking for a guru, but the guru is looking for disciples. I mean, looking for disciples not in the sense of, I want followers, but looking for qualified people that may have the willingness and sincerity to commit themselves to what the Guru is about, what the Guru wants to give. It's not easy to find a real Guru, and similarly it's not easy to find a real disciple. No, it's not that it's almost kind of synonymous, as we have said many times. Guru and disciple, are, a good disciple is Guru, and a good Guru is the best disciple. <laughs> so, so the point is, Vyasadev was understood this. Sukadev is, is the perfect vessel for me to pour in this Bhagavatam Vita. But he just ran into the forest. <laughs> so, how to bring him back so we can keep this current alive and he can eventually, I mean, he will speak this to Pariksit and so on. So he thinks this idea, okay, he's Atmaram, he's not attracted to anything of this world, but Bhakti is not from this world, it's, and he's above Atmaram. So I will bring him by that, some enchanting sounds. Like, and he sends a good cutter and he shares to the good cutter some verses from the Bhagavata. It is, never, it is nowhere officially confirmed which are those verses, but different charities have mentioned some of them, like a possibility, maybe this and this and these two, three verses. And one of them, so all of them are Bhagavata verses, Nibritta Tarsher, Upagiyamanat, One of them is this verse that speaks about the glory is the power of Harikata, the power of Bhagavat Kata, which says, Even those who are Nibritta like Sukadev, who are totally indifferent to, to what's going on here, Upagiyamanat, they will glorify this, this Kata, as, as Sukadev Goswami will show. And Babosada Chotra Manoviramat. And this Harikatamrita is like an elixir, like Rasayana Kata, like a very healthy tonic, like like you have in Ayurveda, these different medicines that Mohini can correct me if I'm mistaken. But there, I mean, you generally think medicine is something you take when you are sick. 
but in Ayurveda you have many things that you can take when you are healthy also. No? Like ashwagandha or things like this. It's not that you need to be sick to take that. I mean, you can take that even when you are healthy and that will help. So Harikata is like that. It's not that I take Harikata so I get free from the entanglement of this world. And then Harikata stops. No, Harikata really begins on the platform of, of liberation because Harikata is Bhakti and Bhakti is a post-liberated state. So so this is the nature. So Sukadeva Goswami is hearing these verses and he returns like if... How do you say when someone is like... When someone plays the flute and charm, charm, like snake charmer, no, like charm, like following the sounds of the Bhagavad verse, and, and in this way he returns to the ashram of of Vyasa, and of course we know the rest of the story, and that's why we are here now <laughs> because of, of all this situation. So, so the point that that we want to make here is that that bhakti, that harikata, <clears throat> there is something above atmaram. That's my point. No, so, so the the soul, the jiva, can become atmaram, can become self-satisfied, and even that case, some bhakti is required. It's not that no bhakti is required, but <coughs> the point here is above above atmaram, there is something called pararam. Atmaram is self-satisfied, and pararam means transcendentally dissatisfied, because when you love, when you are thrown into a pool if you will, of, of Prem, <laughs> the, the nature of love, it fulfills you, but at the same time, it can always grow. So this can always grow means there's room for unlimited uh, expansion and development, and that creates a type of dissatisfaction, but not the same type of insatisfaction from below Atmaram, but from above Atmaram. And that happens for Krishna himself, basically. Now you love someone, and you will feel... I can never love enough. I can always love more. And, and, and that's in constant, again, growth, expansion. So I say this because, again, here Thomas Merton is saying this interesting idea. The, the soul in itself is complete, but somehow it can become more complete. <laughs> I mean, you can reach the state you are complete. And this idea came the other day. I was sharing that with with whom? So many people these days <laughs> with Shamananda, with Shamananda, we were on a bus going, returning to the city in Finland. So this idea came that I, I, I may be adding to, to my forthcoming book on this the topic of Pakti in the Jiva. That Krishna, Rupa Goswami describes Krishna in, in Sri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu in different ways. And one of the ways he describes Krishna, he describes Krishna in Mathura. In, in Brindavan, in Mathura, <clears throat> and in Dwarka. So he says, Krishna in Dwarka is Purna, which means complete. I mean, there's not a moment where Krishna is not complete. I mean, he's God, so he has to be complete. But that's the beginning. <laughs> the Krishna in Mathura is complete, Purna. No? Krishna in Mathura is more complete. He says, Purnatara. And Krishna in Vrindavan is most complete, Purnatama. So he's always complete, but on top of that, he can become more complete than the most complete. So my idea was okay, similarly, the soul is, com com is complete in itself, if you will. Sachidananda can attain Atmaram, 
without becoming a bhakta, if you will, but it has a potential of being upgraded in connection with bhakti, and in that way this the soul also can become not only complete but more complete and most complete. And we as Gaudias are interested in that most completeness, if you will, <laughs> that the jiva has the potential uh, of in connection to bhakti. So, so that said, do you follow my 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 idea? Okay. Is it not contradiction? If you complete, you complete, and it's nothing more. It's like it's black and white. It's not more black nor more white. It's just there are shades of black and white also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are different types of black. For example, Krishna is black, but it's not black as we like black. No, it's sham. It's like again. I'm giving some example, analogy, and logic in one sense is, is uh, not enough to, to enter into that realm. Chinta kaloji bhava natam sarki na joya yet, says scripture. Prakriti vyam param jacha tadachintyasya lakshanam. Certain topics which are of the nature of achintya are not to be fully addressed through the means of, of tarka, of logic. I mean, we can. I mean, we are not promoting being illogical, being irrational, but also we are promoting, there are certain things which are above logic. That's logic, logical. <laughs> not everything is, 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 is just limited to rationality, and that's rational to accept that. <laughs> How to approach that? We, we, we turn to Shastra. And when we turn to Shastra, we try to apply logic. So, of course, God is complete. That's it's a way of using language to describe something that, that, of course, in one point is beyond language. But God is complete. We have this word Purna over and over again. The Upanishads say, Om Purna Amada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasisyate Just in case, no? No, 108 times the same word. Purna, 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 Purna. He's Purna, right? Okay? It's clear. <clears throat> so, on the foundation of that Purnatva or that completeness, hmm, he can become more complete. It's, it's not that it's, I mean, it's still in the concept of being complete, but the point is, it's not a complete, because the idea of being complete also may tend to, he doesn't need anything. Yeah, he doesn't need anything. But at the same time, in the context of love, he does need something. But what he needs, again, it's very, we have to follow the idea, because we tend to compare he needs something and with our own experience of needing something, which is out of existential void, basically. And, and, and this is totally different. He needs something. That's, for example, one example, classic an example is Rasa Lila. This is a very, like, symbol of the highest love. You know, Krishna and Radha, Krishna and the Gopis meeting together and celebrating life, dancing, singing, and so on. Rasa Lila is like the like the high the apex of the Bhagavatam and the ultimate like symbol, this circular dance that integrates everything and so on. So the point is one can think, okay, Krishna is, has some some void, the gopis has some void in themselves, some holder, and they're trying to to get together to fix each other or something maybe. Uh, no, no, it's not like that. No, like in this world that generally one boy will run after a girl and the girl may run after the boy, but mostly because they have some individual existential hole and they see that the person is having the exact same size 
that's my hole. Atmavam manjati jagat. They project their own emptiness. Oh, it takes a form. Oh, that person just kind of is fits like the exact piece to my, and, and they try to sometimes a little with, by force yeah. have to fit here, have, and the other one is trying to do the same. <laughs> but in time, the, the piece does not fit in the puzzle, and the puzzle remains incomplete. <laughs> so that's on this plane. But Krishna and the gopis are not meeting each other out of emptiness. Actually, Krishna is full, gopis are full. And they meet to celebrate their fullness. And that's a necessity, as, as, as our Guru will say. But it's a necessity out of fullness. When you are full, the necessity is to celebrate my fullness. It's a necessity, but not out of emptiness. <laughs> it's out of fullness. So it's categorically different to the idea of necessity as... Because sometimes the word necessity implies you are not complete. You are empty. You lack something. No, there is place for necessity in the context of fullness, of celebration. And for us, that's our prospect as Gaudiya Vaishnavas. We will enter into a real when there will be so much necessity of service there. And we are to offer ourselves in service. But that intense necessity is not out of, again, the emptiness we find here, but the fullness we find there. And it is say that that necessity is much stronger than the necessity here. I mean, if we think here I'm needy, oh, you don't have a clue what's really real neediness, the the one that comes out of love. And so that's again another way of speaking about that. So in that sense, I'm speaking about complete, more complete, and most complete. In the sense of you are complete, there is an aspect of God which is atmaram, overtly atmaram. No, let's say Narayan and Vaikuntha. Narayan and Vaikuntha is Atmaram, self-satisfied. Everyone is like worshipping him. He's God. Everyone has that in place. No? He's God. He's to be worshipped and so on. <laughs> but according to our Gaudiya ontology, theology, we know, we also conceive of some other aspects of divinity that we consider are, in one sense, in terms of rasa, in terms of of degree of love, subject objectively superior to Narayan. Not subjectively. Subjectively, everyone will feel this is the highest thing for me. This is a highest thing for me, and so on. But objectively, if we are to measure the the different levels of depth of of the different lay phases of divinity according to the intensity and degree of love and rasa, we find that in Krishna. This is there's another presentation. Atmaram is uh, Narayan is Atmaram. Krishna is not Atmaram. Again, Krishna is Pararam, as we mentioned. He's full. I mean, he's Atmaram, but he's something more on top of that. That that's the idea. That's how the Rasa Lila starts. Interestingly, it is uh, Bhagavad. I mean, the first word of the Rasa Lila, which will show how Krishna is needing in need of celebrate with the gopis. <laughs> The very words is Bhagavan. Bhagavan, Bhagavan, Apira Triba. Bhagavan means he who has, what? Six opulences. One of them is full renunciation. So immediately very Sukadev puts very expertly in context. Okay, I'm, I'm about, I'm about to, to narrate now Krishna's rendezvous with the gopis, which may seem like, like a boy just 
I mean, meeting many girls at night, <laughs> and this is your God. <laughs> but who is that person? Bhagavan, which means one of his six main attributes is total detachment. Like implying what, what you are about to hear now is not what you think it is, because the person, the main character there, is the person who has the most detachment. So do not un interpret this as some ordinary thing. So this is something called totally the neediness he's expressing and so on. This is on the platform of Atmarama, the basis he's Atmarama, and on top of that, again, he develops these necessities to celebrate in the context of love. So so he becomes more complete in that sense. He is Atmaram, he is complete, he has no need, he's fooling himself, but on top of that, with that foundation in place, in contact in contact with certain type of love, like the love of the gopis, the love of the Brajabasis, he develops this need of celebrating his existence and dancing and singing and so on. So that takes the form of <clears throat> more complete and most complete. He remains complete. Atmaram, Narayan, Vaikuntha, but more complete, most complete implies a bigger, deeper uh, influence of Prem, which is, interestingly, we say Prem, Bhagavan is controlled by Prem and Bhakti, but Prem and Bhakti and Sarup Shakti and so on uh, is the Shakti of Bhagavan also. So we have to understand all the things and sorry if it's too much, too complicated for you to follow. <laughs> I mean, Swarup Scriptures say, Krishna himself say, I'm controlled by my devotees. Thousands of verses in that line. But at the same time, why he's controlled by his devotees? What does it mean, I'm controlled by bhaktas? means I'm controlled by bhakti. And what's bhakti? Bhakti is Krishna's own energy, own shakti, in the, who acts in the service of him. Because the shakti serves shakti mam. The energy ser serves the energetic source. So it's interesting because he's controlled by the energy who is in his service. And in his service, acts in a certain way that creates this experience when he becomes controlled by his devotees. And it is said that that's the, the most favorite quality of Krishna in himself. If you are interviewing Krishna and say, what's the most the favorite thing in your, about yourself? Uh, it may sound pretty narcissistic. What will he say now? <laughs> He has many things to say. I mean, he's Bhagavan. <laughs> he could say so many things, incredibly extraordinary things. But he says, the favorite quality in myself is that I become controlled by the love of my devotees. It's not about him in one sense. It's not like a puffed up reply. No, I'm incredible. I'm, I know. My favorite quality in me is how much I become controlled by their love. No? <laughs> so again, it's, in abstract terms, it's Shakti Man and Shakti, the energetic source and the energy. And we can analyze all this more technically like that, but we as Gaudias uh, are inclined towards depicting all this in, in, in dramatic terms, aesthetic terms, artistic terms, ecstatic terms, the language of Rasa. This is the language that, that the Goswami have established in our Gaudias and Pradaya. So it's not enough for us to speak just the energetic source and the energy and the interactions of the different potencies and their source, but how this play out in the context of, of Lila, hmm. divine play, which is what we are all about ultimately, you know, with fully entering into that. So, going back to Madan Mohan's question, 
still I have not addressed the question in itself. <laughs> but we have these different possibilities. No? And going back to the to the Jiva and going back to Thomas Merton's world, hmm? the soul is complete in itself, but can become even even more complete. Hmm? He's saying here very interestingly. Hmm? So the soul, he says here, and we say the same, lacks something that can only be received from outside. So our idea is similar. It's not that every single thing is in us. Every is in us in terms of potential, we could say. No? Everything is in us in terms that we have the potential to host certain influences that will make us all that we can be. But it's not that everything is in us in a way that we don't need anything else apart from us to become all that we can be. We need. We need. <clears throat> if we want to attain that level of potential, again, if you want to remain at, in Atmaram stage, that's another thing, like he himself is saying there. But if you want to attain that highest, highest thing, and he said this interestingly, when that line is shining in the soul, in other words, when a particular ray of Sarup Shakti is descending, Sudha Sattva Vishesh Atma or Mahaprabhu, like he says, Vidyabhadu Jivanam, and so on. It's, uh, how, how is this? Sreya Kairava Chandrika Vitaranam. When this ray of moonlight descends and illuminates the heart, which speaks about Sarup Shakti entering in a particular way, here he's saying, the soul is transformed, transformed, basically. Transformed in which sense? It's, of course, in one sense, the soul is always the same, but it's transformed in terms of it has the potential for something. So when it enters, in, like, the, the, like the earth, the earth is earth, the soil. Soil, you say? Soil? Soil is soil, but soil has the potential of being transformed into a tomato. <laughs> if the seed is there, if the water is there, it is sound like it's there. Oh, now you have a tomato. In one sense, it's, it's the earth. The earth is still there, but it's showing, oh, now it's ornamented with tomatoes, if you will. <laughs> so if we want, we can speak in terms of ornamentation. So we are like a soil. The, the, the jiva is like a soil that has the potential of giving apples, tomatoes, and pineapples, and lichus, and whatnot. But it, it will depend on which seed is coming. And then, of course, light and water has to be there, sadhana has to be there, but seed is also required. I'm giving this analogy because sometimes devotees give... Of course, analogy is an analogy, just to illustrate something that has to be proved through, through Shastra. Analogy doesn't prove in itself anything, but it helps to illustrate something. But sometimes devotees say, no, bhakti is inherent because we have the seed in our heart of whatever type of devotional affinity <clears throat> and then Sadhu Sangha comes and Sadhu Sangha is like the water on that seed and then the seed gives flower and fruit but again that's an analogy you know you, you cannot just prove something with so in this idea we have the seed and we receive the water but Shastra actually uses the same analogy to prove the contrary no, what did say Shastra say? Brahmanda Brahmiti Kona Bhagavan Jiva Guru Krishna Prasade Pai Bhaktilatavich. Hmm. The seed of divine of devotion is given by Guru. One received that from Guru, from the grace of Guru and Krishna. Oops. So, 
and, so, and, and also that that analogy is, is faulty in the sense of if I say, okay, in my heart there is the seed and sadhu sangha is the water. But the point is that every sadhu sangha is different. It's not the same. But if in this analogy, if I had the seed and rain comes, the water is always the same. <laughs> you follow? So also an, an analogy to be successful has to be consistent with the principle it's trying to convey. So if I say sadhu sangha is, is just the water that will make the seed grow, but the point is, and, and, and following the analogy, all water is the same and the seeds are different, but in this case, all sadhu sangha is not the same. There is Vishnu Bhaktas, Ram Bhaktas, Madhurya Bhaktas, Sakya <laughs> So, actually Sadhu Sangha is the seed that comes to us and, and we have to water that seed with sadhana, Shravan, Kirtan and so on. So we have that potential hmm, to become all that we can be, to develop Bhakti Swarup and spiritual identity. Hmm, to say that Swarup Shakti will enter into the Jiva and upgrade, if you will, its, its potential, its prospect to the point of developing ultimately, I mean the goal of our practice is to, to develop a spiritual identity basically, which again is not there, but in conjunction with the influence of Swarup Shakti at certain point, our Tatasta constitution and Jivas will be fully let's say embraced by Swarup Shakti on, on a very deep high level of how to say, like, alchemic combination, that that will give rise to a particular sense of self, eternal identity. Totally imbued in Swarup Shakti. Siddha Swarup, Bhakti Siddha Swarup. But that comes from above, again. That's a descending grade. That's gift. Abaroha Panta. Descending process. So, Madam Mohan is asking in connection to Again, some other traditions, and he mentioned Thomas Merton, and that's why I mentioned Thomas Merton. Uh, of course, I mentioned this is one example. I'm not saying that every single tradition is having the same idea because it's not like this, and there are so many traditions, and we can we don't have time to go to each one of them. And what do they think? Mm. But. But I will say that the principle of, of bhakti, or of sarup shakti, of course, name like as light, as descending grace, whatever the name you want to give, somehow it's present, uh, maybe not in every single tradition, but in many of them, especially, of course, mystical traditions and so on, and, and, and the need for, again, not in all, but in some of them, and the need for for receiving something that is not in in us. Sometimes we say this in the context of of speaking to people. Okay, everything is in you. You don't need to look anything outside. And it's a, to make a point. It's I mean, you not you don't need to look for everything outside of you in the sense of material objects, if you will. No, no. What what the soul is, the soul is much bigger than the whole world, basically, and so on. And, and that's true. But in our particular bhakti prospect, we will turn the argument up, upside down again and say we need something outside of us <laughs> actually in one sense everything is in us in terms of potential so sometimes one can use those terms and our acharyas have, have done so 
everything is inside of you. Yes, inside of you there is potential to host Sarup Shakti. At the same time, you need that Sarup Shakti to be hosted if you will, for for certain things to happen. I've I've heard some devotees saying that how to say they're they're being asked like is there bhakti or sarup shakti in in any tradition outside of basically yours and they have said no <laughs> but i personally don't agree with that now, of course also when we say this it's important to make some nuanced differentiation about types of bhakti because there are different types of bhakti also we can say bhakti as, as a very generic term but also, we will ask, we Gaudias are really much obsessed with specificity. <laughs> so, which type of bhakti? Or which type, whatever. Like, like our Guru Mahārāj sometimes said, someone said, my Guru is an avatar of Krishna. And a Gaudiya will say, which type of avatar? <laughs> and inside that type, which type of avatar? Shakti Abhis avatar, Yuga avatar, Mambantar avatar. And inside that, and this, and this, and this, and the person will say, uh, maybe he's not an avatar. <laughs> okay, and now we are somewhere. So, <laughs> so similarly, now we hear about different types of bhakti: karma misra bhakti, gyan misra bhakti, satviki bhakti, tamasi bhakti, rajasik bhakti, or 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 uttam bhakti. No, our our idea of bhakti is the one depicted by Srila Rupa Goswami and he gives a very, how to say, a very accurate definition that cannot be mistaken with any other thing. I mean, he is so expert in mentioning what our bhakti is and is not that you cannot mistake this bhakti with any other thing. And it, it takes too long to describe this verse. Nyavilasita sunyam gyan karmadina britam but I will mention something briefly <laughs> in this regard. This is a very famous verse that if you don't know it, you are really invited to learn this verse because it's basically what we are about. If someone asks you, what's your... Of course, you won't in the street, you won't quote this verse to anyone. <laughs> but for you, you have to know what your school of thought is about. What's the type of bhakti you want to embrace? If you don't have a clue about that, I mean, I don't know which is your idea where, where conducting yourself in practice. So this is the 11th verse of the first part, first section, first chapter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. This is a very, very important verse. So Rupa Goswami here will give the Swarup Lakshan and the Tatasta Lakshan of, of Uttam Bhakti. Now, our Bhakti, according to Sri Rupa Goswami, is called Uttam Bhakti. He derives his definition from older notions of Bhakti described in scripture. For example, he will call Narad Pancharata first as, as, a, as a, an ancient source for his own idea of Uttam Bhakti, which is, of course, totally in line. Sarvopadi Vinir Muktam basically that verse is bhakti means to be totally free from all false designations all upadis which mean all types of designations that do not are about bhakti to be totally free from that and basically to acquire real 
designation, spiritual designation, and that has to do with Rishikesh and Rishikesh, to give pleasure to the senses of he who is the master of the senses, and so on. But Rupa Goswami's verse is, Anyavilasita sunyam jnan karmadi anabritam anukulina krishnanu silanam bhakti ruttama. So Uttam Bhakti means Anyabilasita Sunyam. First comes the Tatastalakshan, which means that which Bhakti is not, if you will. Or, or sometimes it is, they are called, in this case, like marginal characteristic. The ones attributes will, will come as a byproduct of the main attributes, of the inherent attributes of this Bhakti. So first he described this Tatastha. Anyabilasita Sunyam totally free from all types of desires. Of course, now we will see the rest of the verse qualified, not all desires, but all the desires separate from <laughs> bhakti. And the conclusion will be actually, this bhakti is all about desires. <laughs> it's a being full of desires, basically. Like Srila Prabhupada will say, you know, they asked him, what your, what's your tradition about? It's about detachment? Say, no, 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 this is about attachment. <laughs> Krishna consciousness is about attachment to Krishna, mm -hmm. and detachment will come up, out of its own out of its own accord, mm -hmm. as a byproduct of attachment. Mm -hmm. So anya abilasita sunya means be totally free from anya abilas. Abilas means desire, and anya means separate, other. Anya means other. So desire desires other than for the center, if you will. So. To begin with, that's quite complex. No? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> free from selfishness, free from separate interest, free from an agenda that is not hmm, part of Bhagavan's agenda, and so on. And that's just like a secondary aspect of this. And this type of bhakti is not to be covered. It's Uncover or un, how do you say, how Guru Mahesh uses this term? Unhinged? Unhinged? What's this phrase? Unhinged? Unhinged? No, no. Hin unhinged. Maybe I'm not pronouncing them properly because he uses this term always. Unhinged from, well, okay, no problem. Not covered by an avritam, by jnan, bar karma, and adi. Adi means some other things like yoga and other types of. Things that are not bhakti, basically. So this bhakti is not to be covered by this desire for liberation, but dharma, karma, artha, kama, moksha, all this type of thing. That's Mahaprabhu said also. Nadanam, najanam, So this is what this bhakti is not about, basically. This is what this type of bhakti is free from. And then he says, Anokulena Krishna Anushilanam Bhakti Rutma. So he says these three. He first he gave two tatasta lakshan and then he gives three surup lakshan. Anukulena, Krishna, Anusilanam. This is Bhakti Uttama. So he says, this is Krishna, about Krishna. I mean, it, it, this Uttam Bhakti has Krishna as its Vishaya Alambana, as its object. No? Because there's different types of Bhakti directed to different objects of Bhakti. But Uttam Bhakti is directed to Krishna to the, this particular form of the Absolute that Rupa Goswami will really develop in his treatise, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And we will see not only Krishna, but 
Purnatama Krishna, the Krishna Vrindavan, the most complete Krishna. <laughs> and this bhakti is about Anushilanam, which means like it's a practical engagement of all our faculties in service of Krishna. And that service is to be Anukulena. This is a very important word of the verse. I'm really being brief. There's such a long explanation to this verse in Vajiva Goswami with Vishwanachakvarta. Anukulena means favorable. So favorable means you should serve Krishna, you should render this bhakti without separate interest, without any separate desire or uncovering by jnana, karma and so on, in a favorable way. Favorable means two things. One, you should engage in things that Krishna likes, that are favorable for Krishna's taste, if you will. Krishna explains in the Shastra what he likes, what he doesn't like. So we are to align ourselves with God's, Bhagavan's uh, taste, if you will. It's not so much about projecting what I like and make him please facilitate. I mean, we have to begin somewhere. It's not a problem. I mean, Krishna in the Gita also says, You have to begin somewhere. Some, some people will approach me for money, for fame, for knowledge, out of fear, for duty, or some will really want to love me. And I welcome all of them. But of course there is a gradation, it's not the same. Because I will reciprocate accordingly. So if you approach to me and you tell me, bless me with a new car, with a new wife, give me, give me, give me, I will give you, but I won't give myself because you are not asking for that. <laughs> because you are not giving yourself. <laughs> so I won't give myself. That's I won't be so cruel as to impose myself on you with something you are not asking for. <laughs> so, this is not Uttam Bhakti of Rupa Goswami. <laughs> so, Anukulyana means Uttam Bhakti will be quite concerned of whatever he or she is doing is something that Krishna likes, that his object, her object of affection is agreeing with. But on top of that, Anukulyana means you have to do it with an intention of pleasing Krishna. Not, so, not only you have to do something that pleases Krishna incidentally, but with the attitude and desire and intention of giving pleasure to Him. And sometimes you can have such an intense desire of pleasing Krishna that that externally may seem the opposite. There are many stories to that effect in Shastra. And the two things are there. For example, the famous example is... Um, I don't know. Yeah? No, I was going to the other, the other type of example. Kamsa. Ah. No. We know Kamsa is an example of absorption in Krishna. 24 hours... Right? Our ideal, our ideal, no? being absorbed, smartavyasatitam bishnur, bishmartavyanajati. You should always remember him, never forget him. <laughs> Kam says our acharya. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm saying something, some nonsense here. No, Prabhupada says in Nectar Devotion, he's fully Krishna conscious. <laughs> <laughs> he's fully Krishna conscious, so. Do you have any problem with Kamsa? Kamsa Maharaj Ki Jai. <laughs> of course, there is something to add to that, of course. No? He's fully Krishna conscious, means 
he he cannot stop thinking about Krishna for a moment, but is that anukul seva? Is doing that with an attitude and desire favorable for Krishna's pleasure? No, he's the personification of fear from Krishna. That's being described in the in the famous verse of the of, of the. Bhagavatam that Rupa Goswami uses to prove how Krishna is <coughs> Akila Rasamrita Murti. This is another important point from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. The Goswamis are establishing this notion <coughs> God for us is Rasa, based on this idea of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Taitri Upanishad Rasa Vaisaha, Rasamhiya Bayam Labdanandi Bhavati. Brahman, the absolute, is rasa, says Taitriya Upanishad. And, and Rupa Goswami takes that and says, not only Brahman is rasa, Brahman means not here the indeterminate aspect of the absolute, but the absolute, Brahman. The, the Upanishad speak of the absolute in terms of Brahman. And Rupa Goswami says, not only he's rasa, but he's Akila Rasamrita Murti. He's the ultimate form or personification of all the possible experiences of rasa. And for proving that, Rupa Goswami quotes a famous verse from the 47th chapter of the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam when Krishna is entering the arena trying to, when, when fighting with, before fighting with Kamsa. And there are different peoples in the, how do you say, arena, mm. stadium, and contemplating Krishna from different sides. No? Like Malanama, Shanir, Nrinam, Nam, Nam. Malanam, Malanam. I'm, I'm memorizing this verse now. This day, Malanam, Malanam, Shanira, Nrinam, Narabaram, Srinam, Srinam, Smara Murtimam. Like, for example, no? the, the wrestlers were seeing Krishna's lightning personified, the men were seeing him as the best of men. The ladies were seeing him as the incarnation of Cupid. And again, every different person, and they there say, and Kamsa was seeing him as that personified. No? <laughs> so that was his Christian consciousness, basically. And of course, Prabhupada was making that point. <clears throat> so Kamsa is doing something that Krishna likes, if you will. Krishna likes that we think all day about him. <laughs> but he was doing that with the mood that this Krishna doesn't like. He wanted to kill Krishna. But he was totally paranoid and unobsessed in terms of fear, and that was his absorption. So <clears throat> that's not Uttam Bhakti, that's the point. Yeah. He obtained some some blessing just by being absorbed in Krishna, but since his attitude was not favorable, his ultimate goal was not the desired goal. That's what Jiva Goswami explains in in Krishna Sandarbha, all these demons that are killed by Krishna, they are absorbed in him on some level or another, but most of them, all, all then they are not having a favorable attitude. So when Krishna kills them, by they being in touch with Krishna, with the Sudarshan Chakra, whatever, all their impurities disappear. So they are free from all karma, from all gross subtle body, but on the other side, they have no bhakti samskars. They have no, they have not, they have not been practicing bhakti, so they don't have favorable attitude. 
So what happens when you are totally free from all impurities, but you don't have bhakti, basically? What's the result of that combination? Brahma Sayuja. So that's why all these demons go there, one after the other, basically. No? Because that's what happens. So that shows they don't have anukul, favorable attitude. But they were purified by contact with Krishna. So the combination of that corresponds with this destiny called Brahma Sayuja. In most of the cases, Puttana is like an exception to the rule. That's why he's specially praising. That's another story. So, uh, so Kamsa is that example. He's doing something that is favorable, thinking about Krishna, but with a totally unfavorable attitude. And on the opposite, we can give the example of Yashoda. She's chasing Krishna with a stick and trying to beat him and tying him to a mortar. So we don't find anywhere in our Shastra one of the aspects of sadhana will be favorable for you. You have to beat Krishna and tie him, and it's not like that. But she's doing that out of her love for him. So first, she's loving Krishna in Bhatsali above, and the result of that over... the, the, the implications of loving him as a mother in, in a certain given situation takes the form of how to tie you. But why she was tying him? Because she thought... She thought all this was out of love. That's explained in Shastra. <clears throat> to begin with, she was chasing Krishna because she was feeling, if I do not educate my boy, he's so naughty that when he grows and grows, he will be totally spoiled. And I don't want that for him. I want the best for him. So he, she was doing that with that loving intention. And then she was thinking, oh, but uh, and Krishna now is running and escaping from me. Who knows, maybe he, he won't return home. Never. So I have to tie him. Not, because again, if you, I mean, if you publish this, if you do, do this in nowadays society, mother ties, uh, Mohini tied Naika to the to this post on the corner, she will be in all the newspapers, like dysfunctional mother chastising her son and tying to a post. And it's like everyone was like indignated, like this is ah. <laughs> so. What about Jashoda and Krishna? But again, the background is totally different. And she was just thinking, Krishna is running. Maybe he will leave us and not return any... Never, any. She was not able to conceive that idea. Also, she just died for a moment. Mm. <laughs> and as we know, when, when when in time, Krishna, who was tied to the mortar, he, he put the mortar in between the two, the, the Arjuna trees, and they fell... And Joshua was not there, but on the distance he heard two trees falling. Immediately she was, I mean, she connected on Krishna, trees, the trees fall, fell, maybe they fell on him, and I was the one tying him. So all this took place in her mind in one second. So when she heard the trees falling, she fell to the ground like a tree as well. She totally collapsed. By by thinking, oh my God, I, I'm I, I'm the one to blame in this. Now, of course, it was happy end to the story, but but the point is, externally she's doing something that seems unfavorable for Krishna, but it's the intention is so much drenched in prem. So so this anukul, this is of course Rupa Goswami say we have to begin somewhere. So. Ideally, you have to offer Krishna those things he likes the most. 
Krishna has his own taste. Again, he's not like an abstract, generic face of the Absolute, but he has individuality and taste. There are certain preparations he likes the most, certain things he has some inclination to, towards colors, uh, people, and moods. And it's not like it's the same. That's the same. No, he has his own. So in time, it's nice to get familiar with that. But Rupa Goswami, while saying this, he's pretty merciful and say, well, you offer Krishna those things that he liked the most, but if this is too much for you, <laughs> then offer Krishna those things that you like the most. <laughs> we have to begin somewhere. But at least connect, include Krishna in the equation. And by offering Krishna those things that you like the most, there will be some type of emotional investment that you will be putting because this is what I like the most. And so you will do it with real feeling <laughs> and include Krishna in that. So somehow it's it's something that creates a bond and eventually you will become more and more concerned about his taste. And eventually his taste will in one sense become your taste, if you will. You will be finding happiness in his happiness. Mm. And things like this. Like we were, I was yesterday giving this lecture on Brahma Gita recording that for next Monday and when Krishna is, is outside of Vrindavan the gopis are replying to Krishna's message through to Udhavan some gopis of the Dakshina Bhav or, or the more mild mild say mild nature like the right wing gopis the more calm ones <laughs> submissive ones they say well Krishna now is in Mathura he has become a king there uh, every, he has met his uh, every, he's happy if he's happy we are happy with him we are happy ourselves because we know he's happy. But then the the, the Bamya gopis or the left-wing gopis, Radha and others, will say, no, no, we know he's not happy there. And we know him and we know the degree of love and service he received here in Braj. And we know he's not receiving that there. And we know he's, nobody there can serve and love him and play instruments and dance for him and make garlands and all the things that we were doing here. Nobody's doing that there. So if we at least will know that one single lady is doing that for him there, we will rest and bring down and be happy. But since we do, we know he's not receiving all the pleasure he could receive, we are tortured in separation, knowing he's not happy. His unhappiness becomes our unhappiness. So that's a total immediate identification with the object of love. His Happiness, my happiness, his unhappiness, my unhappiness, and so on. So, some ideas, I know that I may not have only spoken about, spoke about that, but, yeah, different traditions have Nisper notions, some of them will, will conceive some form of bhakti, but again, there are types of bhakti, and that's why I wanted to conclude with this notion of our type of bhakti is Uttam Bhakti, so it's important also to as much as it's important to recognize other forms of bhakti in other traditions and remain, if you will, broad-minded and universal and not just sectarian and only we love God or something. It's not about that. But there are types of bhakti. There are gradations of that. There are some more diluted conceptions of that. So that's present. And of course, and again, we, we are not saying we are the best and everyone should join us and blah, blah, blah. But just objectively speaking, we can have a talk and establish 
all these different layers of bhakti and possibilities and levels of selflessness in bhakti and dedication but subjectively every person will find my path is the best and they should because if you don't feel your path is the best what what the hell are you doing there <laughs> um, so also that that's that's an important aspect to consider okay i think it was a pretty extended reply <laughs> one hour but are there any questions any other questions maybe i mean I won't reply next questions that longer, but we we, we can share some. Just uh, yeah. following on from what you just said about your own path being the right, mm. the right path, mm. bring that to like an individual level. Like, how do how do we? Um, can you talk a little bit about the relative importance of self self love, self belief, self doubt, and faith? Mm -hmm. The importance of self-doubt, self belief, self-love. Self yeah, and faith. Uh -huh. <clears throat> yeah, well, in, in our particular tradition, which I, I, I need to mention that, because when we say about ourselves as devotees in this case, uh, we are not separate from the particular metaphysics that that came to our life and, and because we see ourselves in light of a certain type of knowledge also I mean not every single person on earth sees themselves in the same light so we are seeing when we say ourselves in one sense uh, ourselves is not different from uh, how to say the tradition that is showing ourselves if you will <laughs> because if you are not the Gaudiya Vaishnava you won't see yourself in the same way as we are seeing us of course, we may say the self, beyond the lens of, of how you see through a particular tradition, the self is the same. But at the same time, as we mentioned, there are possibilities, potential in the self that won't come to light in every place. You know? So for us as Gaudias, and this is, is, this is, I know it may be complex, but it's important to pound of this post. <laughs> for us, who we are, the self, we, Atma, whatever, is Tatasta. So this word Tatasta, as you may know, is has to do with we are something or someone, <laughs> but at the same time that someone, the sense of individuality, for example, is totally tied to the influence of the environment. And this is another point that came in, in, in the, some recent discussions on this idea of Bhakti the Jiva, because some people were saying, and devotees were saying, well, if you say that Bhakti is not in the Jiva, or that Prem is not in the Jiva, or that an, a spiritual identity is not already predeterminedly inserted there, does it mean that I don't have an inherent personality already? Does it mean that I'm nobody yet? till I reach that platform or something. So this type of thoughts came, which are interested. I mean, it's important to think and, and speak about that. Um, 
like in playing so there's no individuality because i'm not a person yet I, i'm nobody defined a definitive person of course one could say well if all those things are already predetermined how much of an individual you are because you don't have a choice in the matter you know? everything has been already fixed you are to be this person and you're already that so so also to be an individual means to have free will and to choose and the point is that who we are <laughs> because sometimes we have this idea who we are and for us who we are means a, a determined person finished product if you will but the Shastra say who you are is Tatasta so Tatasta means according to the environment you are in a particular sense of self will come up so until and unless you put yourself under the influence of Bhakti your identity or your sense of being will have to do with material existence so you will identify your sense of I am will have to do with I am whatever whatever the influence of Maya Shakti is there I am man, woman, Argentinian or this or that blah 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 and when you put yourself under the influences of Bhakti another sense of identity will come and you as Tatasta have the potential of imbibing these influences and becoming something of course the becoming under the influence of Maya Shakti is temporary doesn't last so therefore the conclusion is my permanent sense of being in transcendence is under the influence of Bhakti because if you take Bhakti off and Maya Shakti off again what remains is as something similar to Brahma Sayuja when there is no sense of individuality whatsoever interestingly <laughs> so we can we can become again and, and all this is tied to the idea Anadikarma also there is no beginning to all this <laughs> so it's not that in some point we were something or, or we start to be some I mean it's no beginning and the jiva remains from time without beginning under the influence of Maya Shakti until and it becomes under the influence of Swarup Shakti and has the possibility of be all that it can be so we cannot speak about ourselves without speaking about our potential that that's basically the idea of Tatashta you are your potential so because again we say who I am I am something I am someone but there's a potential also included in that thing you are and you should include that in the equation and, and according to the potential there comes your real self for us as a gopi as a gopa and that's our real i the ultimate i as guru Mahesh will say these three levels of i am i am man woman my shakti i am period <laughs> without my shakti but without bhakti and i am gopi gopa bhakti shakti influence so we have been we can move from one to another of course when you reach the ultimate one there's no return so <clears throat> so in the having that in mind uh, uh, as bhaktas we have of course a lot of thing to, to, to do to work on ourselves because we speak about serving Krishna and serving the Guru and serving the Vaishnavas and, and, and bhakti is relational so it's always about serving and loving and for that to happen there has to be someone else but again it doesn't mean that we forget about ourselves totally if you will you know, or something like that 
So we were speaking yesterday also with Kukul Chandra about that. So we have to to take care of ourselves, if you will. <laughs> but at the same time understanding who, are, who we are. No? Because it's not like a selfish thing. If I really understand who I am, I cannot take care of myself in a selfish way. <laughs> you follow? And that's important to understand because sometimes some devotees misunderstand this idea. And, and I don't know. If you as a, someone, as a sadhaka, as a practitioner, let's go more to our present stage of most of us, someone as a sadhaka may need some, whatever, physical, psychic, emotional adjustment, therapy, healing, put it the name you want. Uh, some Sometimes I've heard the Buddha saying, that's Maya. Uh, you are not that. You are not the body. You are not the mind. Of course, easier said than done. <laughs> So the point is, no need to do that. That's relative. You just chant and be happy. <laughs> and you will say, well, I've tried. Well, it seems I need some something else as a complement to the chanting. Not like, a, like against the chanting or something. And again, for us in Bhakti in particular, Bhakti is pretty user-friendly in terms of my body. It's not my body to begin with. It's not yours. I said, Gaudiya, you will think, this is my it's a sadhaka deha. And sadhaka deha is not my sadhaka deha. It's Guru, Sri Guru's gift to me. He gave me this body of a practitioner, this sense of identity. It's his, hers. It's not mine. So that's an important point. We mentioned that in, in Bulgaria. No? It's interesting, a totally revolutionary idea because generally we, we think in terms of my body and with my body I do whatever I like and I will try to enjoy as much as I can, blah, 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 in material platform. But now we realize this is not my body. This is a gift that my guru has given me. But it's a gift that in one sense does not belong to me. Generally in this world a gift is for me. Oh, thank you. It's for me, with your permission. And I will enjoy and I will do whatever I like because now it's mine, because you gave me that as a gift. But not. In this case, the gift is so sacred that it's given to you and you have to take care of that, but it's not yours. It does belong to your dear most person, Sri Guru. So it's like a totally different orientation to how you deal with your sadhakadeha, your sadhakadeha. <laughs> And Sadhagadeha means not only physical body, but mental, subtle, psychic body. So this is something given to me that I have to take care of. Hmm? Um, so in the context of being a Sadhaka, again, what the Guru is giving is a Sadhagadeha. But of course, before receiving a Sadhagadeha, we had our material, if you will, mind and body. So that's not the sadhaka deha the Guru is giving, no, I mentioned. It's not that, oh, he's giving now a, a faulty thing that has some psychic problems. No, that was from before. <laughs> so the sadhaka deha is coming, but still we have this other deha, if you will, this other sense of identity, and we have to try to integrate the two and make the two one. It's not about rejecting totally one thing and now I'm only spiritual and transcendental and, and what about all this trauma and stuff that you have not solved yet 
is waiting there, is knocking on your door every single day. The carpet is moving every more and more because we're putting so much stuff down. <laughs> so being a sadaka or, or engaging in, in anartha nibrit, as we mentioned, is has to do with, as we sometimes say, integration of complexity. All the things that have not been properly integrated and are like lingering there have to be integrated. I would think in today in the morning about this in connection to these three types of devotees, you know, the Kanishta, Madhyam and Uttam. So Kanishta, Adhikari will be someone, I was thinking in terms of sim- simplicity, simpli- sim- simplistic, complex and simple. <laughs> so Kanishta Adhikari is a simplistic person. Like, just chant and be happy. Don't complicate things too much. Why you have more thinking about all that? Just be transcendental. This Maya and this this black and white and do. there's place for that in the beginning stage. But in time you realize there is something more to be done. So then you enter into the Kanishta uh, Madhyam stage, which is not simplistic. You realize it's not working. I cannot be like a reductionist. <laughs> so Madhyam is complexity. There's so much complexity that has to be integrated, not rejected, but integrated. And autumn will be simple. Simple means complexity has been in successfully integrated. So now you are simple. It's a, an, an autumn is a simple person, a simple per- which is different from being simplistic. <laughs> Sometimes in the name of being simple, you are being simplistic. <laughs> and that's not the same thing. For reaching simplicity, you first have to integrate complexity, and that that job not everyone wants to do because it's messy. It's as Artemis will say, you have to deal with the messiness and beauty. <laughs> Dealing with the messiness is in itself beautiful in the life of the sadaka. So this has has to do with learning to deal with yourself, to doubt to, in, in, in a healthy way, to to forgive yourself, to not like let yourself be swallowed by shame and guilt and become paranoid in the name of of whatever, you know, of being transcendental and and being and yeah, it's a whole thing to, to, to live with yourself, you know, to, 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 to learn to deal with your your own mind. Krishna says in the Gita as we say yesterday also. Under out of control your mind is the worst enemy. In one sense, you are living with your worst enemy now. But that worst enemy can be transformed into your best friend. So it's not about burning the mind, killing the mind, hating the worst enemy, but make your worst enemy your best friend. That's what Christ said. He said, you have to love your enemies. <laughs> How can you love your enemy unless the enemy stops being an enemy? <laughs> I mean, if I see you as my enemy, I cannot love you. So love your enemy means stop creating enemies. Stop seeing enemies. And understand there are no enemies. And the only enemy, if you will, is your uncontrolled mind. So you can make your only enemy your friend. And there are no more enemies. <laughs> so so again, how this takes so many, so many forms on a daily life, in one's daily struggle and, and, and workings, and one has to, to be properly accompanied by good devotees and sadhakas and sadhus that we can empathize with and we can share stories and testimonies as our Guru Maharaj will say 
Sadhu Sangha means at the end of the day you sit together in a circle and you start to share how you failed today. <laughs> and no problem, you won't be alone. <laughs> Someone else will say, oh, I also failed the same thing. You are not alone. And that creates them. And of course, successes, successes of the day as well. But but there is place to, to deal with all those things. I mean, I, I mean, I say that I won't be replying in an hour again but some ideas at least to to accept that it's part of the process it is it is allowed to to do those things it's not wrong to to work with yourself how, how, what do you say self doubt and what else faith faith yeah mm. yeah again so it's, it's there's no problem with that but again we we need to also understand what's the self because I remember once someone asked me some decade ago or something, what do you think about loving yourself? Because sometimes this idea, this notion is expressed. You have to love yourself. And I say, no problem. Of course, I have nothing against the notion. But <laughs> you have to understand what's love and what's yourself. Because if you don't have a clear picture of what's to love and what's to love yourself if you don't know, understand those two words love yourself in the name of loving yourself you will maybe doing exactly the opposite because for some people love is just infatuation or whatever who knows what <laughs> they have so many ideas of that. and yourself who knows every person thinks what I am and they identify with their mental waves if you will and that's not yourself. So I'm not against loving yourself. But first we have to know what's real love and who are you. <laughs> and whenever those things are in place, you can love yourself. Because you understand love myself is not a, a separate project. I'm not an isolated entity. To love myself is immediately related to my source, the environment, my potential. Because I'm not separate from. So... To follow the idea, no? so at least in theory, one should know that. No? And of course, on a more relative level, <clears throat> you should love yourself in the sense of pay, paying attention to all those uh, necessities that your physical, psychic body may need at present, hmm? but not as a separate, selfish thing. No? I want to be healthy physically and mentally, like if that's the goal for the sake of. I'm doing that for the sake of who I am ultimately, my potential, my spiritual identity. So I will go to the doctor, to the psychologist if that's required, <laughs> or whatever, for the sake of becoming a much more functional, balanced sadhaka and establishing more this foundation of horizontal development so I can really be a whole person to offer that wholly, wholly, completely to Krishna, no? so so that's in the context of that. I'm, I'm I will be a good father, a good mother, a good husband, a good. Uh, but the old, all that is to be in place for. Maybe I was thinking more like uh, how to harmonize that that that, that self belief, that self love idea. So maybe just like a how how to have healthy self doubt. Self doubt. Yeah, healthy self doubt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Damaging self doubt. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, okay. Yeah, that's a, of course in, in each person this will play out differently, but <clears throat> we 
but it's important to have self-doubt but of course it's important to <laughs> to also do not let that swallow all your convictions and integrity to the point that you will just like be totally paralyzed by because every single thing I'm doing who knows which may be the ultimate motivation and for sure it's conditioned on some level and you start like to and like Sylvia say suspicion leads to suspension so you sus suspicion how do you say in, in the verb what's the verb for suspicion suspicious. suspect suspect or suspicious yeah well the point is that if you be, are suspicious about yourself and every single thing you do you won't do anything because it's like but at the same time you can go to the other extreme like I'm totally how do you say like self-assurance and I'm so sure I'm doing everything and nobody can tell you anything and, and you won't change and you are just like too much too sure about yourself so the middle path is required which is generally the most difficult to thread <laughs> and it's not that I will just share you some magical formula you swallow that and okay I'm there no? I mean one oneself has to thread the <clears throat> the tunnel no the journey do the journey but and you have to pay attention to how how much you can deal with the situation how much sustainable is one level of doubt one level of determination and but I think one should I mean, for example, I don't know, personally I feel I'm totally wretched person, totally, in, in the sense of, I mean, left alone to the influence of Maya Shakti, I will do any stupid thing, nonsense, one after the other. But by the grace of Sri Guru, Parampara and the Vaishnavas, I've been blessed with certain uh, criteria and inspiration and ideals and strength and determination which came up for by their grace of course I have to do something with that but I have to acknowledge that descent of <laughs> that is allowing me now to be what I'm trying to be all that I can be so so the point is again I'm not a separate entity as once my Guru Maharaj said in Bhakti you don't really have a reason to be proud because Bhakti is a gift so it's not something you can give to yourself, you can produce. But of course, in the context of receiving that grace, you have your own will, you are not a robot that is just like passive and everything comes and just like... <laughs> or as Sri say once, at least do not put opposition to what's coming. Grace will do the, big, the bigger part, but still you have to allow that to happen. Like sometimes they give this example in the Sri Sampradaya and our Sampradaya of the, how is the, the cat of the monkey? Is that the, yeah. That the cat is, is taking the, the, the baby, the baby, the kitten, like on the mouth or something, and the kitten is not doing anything. It's just like, and, and the monkey is taking the monkey baby, but the monkey baby has to hold. So he has to do something. In the, in the other example is, you don't even have to do anything. Grace is doing anything. But I will say, even in that case, that kitten that is just being taken, he has not to put opposition to that. <laughs> yeah, something has to be done. Because if, if you are not trusting or something, you are going crazy. Where is this cat taking me? No. The, the, the mouse will think like that. 
<laughs> if it's taken by the cat in the same situation, oh, oh. <laughs> so for one person that's the end, the gate of death. <laughs> so, yeah, we should have some trust and confidence in ourselves, and that's not just to be. It's not that you are pride. No, I mean proud. For example, I mean, if I doubt about all my intentions and everything I'm doing, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm over. I mean, so it's it's over. So I, I, I really trust that I want to tread the path of bhakti. I really want, at least that as much as I can see in myself, I'm open to to being further enlightened in that sense. Because I may say, I, I, I really want to tread the path of bhakti. And of course, some situation may come and show you, are you sure? Really? And something comes and you realize, oh no. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm a cheater and I actually didn't want, but I'm realizing there is a deeper degree of this really through the path of bhakti. You know? So uh, in the future I will be more careful about filling my mouth with certain words. That I will always really fully, uh, there can always be place for progress. <laughs> and Krishna himself will, will be in charge of humbling us through certain situations. Because again, in the beginning you have good intention. I want this. Like I always share this example, embarrassing example of mine. In, in my first Janmastami uh, and some uh, devotee told me, in this day you should make a bow, this is very specious. So with all my naivety I went in front of the altar and said to Mahaprabhu who was in the altar, from now on I will only eat as much as required. I will never eat more than required. I mean I was just some weeks in the temple. No? So I was making a bow of the Goswami stage. <laughs> no? So Mahaprabhu was there like, Okay, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> so again, as, as I always tell, that bow lasted till midnight. <laughs> no, when I realized there are a hundred and eight preparations waiting for me. <laughs> and I was just eating and eating and eating. And I totally even forgot that I was breaking my bow. So I was, it was not that even, oh, I'm breaking my bow. No, after an hour, I said, I totally destroyed my bow. But again, I was not conscious of that. It was not my intention. It was with my innocent approach, I want this, and I really want it, but I was not aware of all that it takes for that to happen. <laughs> you follow? It's like I say, Gurudev, I want to surrender to you. And, and Gurudev will see you and realize you are sincere about that. But he will realize also you don't have a clue about all <laughs> that is what that is about. But, but you are sincere, so your sincerity will carry, take you to, in the, through the different stages every time you will realize all that it takes to really surrender <laughs> and your sincerity will make you accept all these stages. Yes. Oh, oh, this was surrender. Oh, okay, I accept that. Oh, this, you follow the point. No? So that's sometimes how does it play out. So you should, I mean, have confidence and trust in your, in, in this faith, in this inspiration one may have that came by grace. Again, it's not something that we just made up ourselves. I'm full of inspiration for Gaudiya Vaishnavis. No, this came from above, knock on our door, bless our lives, touch our heart, and, and we are really moved by that, and that's real, and we feel so many things that we that's real, but at the same time, yeah, just remain open to <laughs> to receiving always like a deeper and higher prospect of of what we think is Bhakti about, that's important thing. Never conclude, I already know what this is about. 
And this is what Sri, Sri Radha says in the premise and put. Whoever says or thinks, I know what love is about, that person doesn't have a clue about that. Krishna himself is constantly rediscovering his own self and beauty. Mahaprabhu himself means that. Is Krishna wanting who I am? Having, as we want to say, existential crisis. If God has an existential crisis, what to speak of us? <laughs> in the context of bhakti. <laughs> but in a healthy way, again, not the existential crisis we know in the material world, but this rediscovery and re-re-rediscovery of who we are actually and who we can be. Uh, and when we think, okay, this is who I am, eventually a new ray of Sarup Shakti comes and shows you, and you can be this also, and you can be this all. Uh, wow, there's no end to that. No? Mm-hmm. And that sense, once I remember we were speaking with, and with this I'm finishing, maybe we can le- leave the other question for for next me- meeting. Um, well, we were speaking with our Guru Maharaj, I was saying, <laughs> well, officially we are the- theists. Theists, you say? Mm-hmm. We are theists. not atheists. But in another sense, we are agnostics, we were speaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because what's an agnostic about? Agnostic means... I don't know. I'm not so sure if this is like this. Like in playing, I do not ever claim this is it. No? I know. In that sense, we are agnostic. We are open to, okay, this is it, but it can be more. I don't know. I, I know something, but I cannot claim. I fully know this is all. I trapped the whole idea. I got it. Krishna himself, in that sense, is an agnostic. <laughs> in the sense of he's always discovering new possibilities in himself so in one sense it's a way of saying of course God is omniscient so I don't want to insult Bhagavan please bear with me <laughs> but in the context of Lila he enters into another realm of possibilities as Guru Mahal said mm-hmm. omniscience can be boring because you already know everything everywhere <laughs> so when you are born you play you really enter into the play and so so at least at that point, do not always always remain open to to discovering a new layer of who you are and what Krishna Bhakti is, who Krishna is. Never conclude something like in absolute terms, this is all. Because when you say that, you get stuck there, basically. No? So, And the rest, yeah, pay attention to your gut <laughs> and see how sustainable it is your present level of self-confidence and trust and self-doubt in a way that is healthy. Because, again, doubt is not necessarily something wrong. Doubt can nourish faith, basically. Healthy doubts, the gurus, as Guru said, your guru's duty is to make you doubt in the sense of making you feel not so sure about everything. Because you may think, oh, now I understand this. And guru say, let's see. Let's say something else. And, oh, I never thought like that. A doubt came, but it's a doubt that is opening opening myself to new possibilities. So it's making you grow. <laughs> so, so there's a place for doubt as a nourisher of faith. So that's the point. No, it's important not to see faith and doubt as opposites necessarily. No, but looking for that doubt with, that will nourish that faith. No? Because if if we see doubt and faith as opposites, doubt will be damaging. For us, that type of doubt, black and white, but faith, that type of faith will be damaging as well. (laughs) 
no, a faith that does not allow doubt to nourish it. Mm -hmm. no? <laughs> mm -hmm. So we are looking for, again, an integration of the two. Mm -hmm. So self-doubt has to be nourishing self-confidence, if you will. <laughs> and that's an art. It's an art that takes time, takes life, <laughs> but no rush. <laughs> again, we are here on the path. The, the important thing is to, 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 to be doing the necessary things, to be walking towards the path, and the rest is totally secondary, no matter one lifetime, three lifetimes. Okay. Hundred lifetimes. Hundred lifetimes, hundred and eight lifetimes. Silas Maras will say the process in itself is is beautiful. So where do you want to go? Why so so in a hurry up to go somewhere if the practice in itself is glorious? If you are really doing the things nicely and properly, you will be relishing what you are doing, the opportunity to learn and grow. So it's not that oh I would like to live here as soon as possible. Uh, to live where? To go where? If you are with that stance, you won't go anywhere else. <laughs> And if you have the proper stance, you already are there, if you will. No? So you understand. I mean, in one sense, the path is the goal at the same time. For us in bhakti, bhakti is the means, is the sadhana, and bhakti is the sadhi, is the goal as well. So we are not in a, in a rush to to reach somewhere, but we want to do the necessary things to reach that place in a whole way, no, in a complete way, not just like totally dysfunctional. Here I am in Golak Brindam, finally. I mean, you won't reach Golak Brindam in that way. That's the point. <laughs> so we, we don't want to, to rush. No? Fools rush where angels fear to thread. Another way of saying. Jai. Srila Gurudev ki jai. Sriman Mahapu ki jai. Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai. Sri Sri Nitai. Chan Sachinandan Gorhari ki jai, Sri Radha Gopal Govindaram ji ki jai, Sri Dwadasi ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Primanand